I, I, I really like that song. I've never heard it before, uh, except for the opener here. And I, I got a little too close to dancing in church, Dave. Little foot fellowship. I apologize. Foot fellowship. I'm going to begin this morning by a prayer, so if you'll bow your heads with me, let's go ahead and pray. God, we just come to you right now. We thank you so much for this day and this opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, Jonah's story is one that is so powerful and teaches so many lessons to us about redemption and following you and being selfless and uh, not getting too big for our britches and just all the things, God. And so I pray today that you would open our eyes to some of the things that maybe we need to change in our life as we study the story of Jonah. I know that uh, I definitely learned some this week uh, and uh, could see my own story in Jonah as well. So Lord, today we just ask that you would open our minds, open our hearts, God, and fill us with your spirit and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter today. It's only 10 verses. It's another thing. I, you know, you can read the book of Jonah in, in no time whatsoever and, you know, then claim you read a whole book in the Bible and uh, be good for you there. But Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, this is the same exact message that he received the first time. Like word for word, this is what God told Jonah to do the first time. And if you remember, Jonah the first time said, yeah, I don't think I will. Uh, he ran the opposite direction of Nineveh, gets on a ship, tries to flee to another port town. There's that big giant storm while Jonah's sleeping in the bottom of the boat like a jerk. Uh, all of the people on the boat have a different God than Jonah's God. And so they're crying out to their gods and nothing's happening. And they go wake up Jonah and they're like, what's wrong with you, you moron? We're going to die. And Jonah's like, oh, this is my fault. If you just like throw me over the side, which who would offer that information? If you'll just cast me into the sea, everything will stop. And they're like, hey, no problem. See you later, right? So he falls, he starts to drown, you know, the sea vegetation, the seaweeds covering his face. And he's down in the, in the just darkest despair. And uh, he kind of goes through his mindset. Uh, and then the great fish, God sends that great fish after he repents of uh, his wrongdoing. God sends that fish to save him. And we kind of talked about how sometimes we're saved by less than ideal circumstances because they can be used to kind of redirect our path. And uh, once Jonah kind of says this prayer and, and finishes that prayer, then it's at that point, once he decides to repent, he's forgiven that the fish vomits, great word, vomits him out onto dry land. And so uh, this is Jonah back on dry land, and he hear, like immediately, I feel like, hears the same call. I don't even know if he had the gunk cleaned off of him yet. But God says the same thing. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And here's what I've learned from this, not just this story, but I've seen in my own life. There is no running from God's command for your life. There is no running from God's command for your life. Now, oftentimes in Christian circles, we refer to that as our calling our calling. But God has a calling, I think, for each and every one of us. And sometimes that calling is into ministry. And sometimes that calling is to be an insurance agent. And sometimes that calling is to be a plumber. And sometimes that calling is to be a school teacher. And sometimes we get multiple callings. And I think that that uh, is very true for us because we need Christians to be in all realms of society so that godly influence is everywhere we look. And I think that uh, you know, sometimes we belittle what it is we're doing in our life because we think there's no way that God could have called me to uh, work at McDonald's or God could have called me to do this or that. And that's just not true. It, the fact of the matter is we need people who love the Lord and love their neighbors everywhere we look. And so 
what we do need to understand, though, is that there's no running from God's calling in our life. Now, as long as humankind has existed, this has been a problem. For various reasons, at various times, people seek to avoid, delay, or change the calling that God has placed on their life. Jonah was one of those people, and like all the rest, his mind actually ends up being changed for him. I feel like Jonah did what he did to try to change the mind of God, and instead God said, no, no, your mind will change, right? And uh, I was one of those people too. So uh, quickly share my story, and there's a lot more detail, and if you ever want to hear it, I guess we talk one-on-one. But at the age of 15, I became a Christian, and almost immediately I received the calling on my life to become a pastor, to enter into ministry. And maybe I didn't know exactly what that looked like, but it was very clear to me, like, hey, this is what you're going to do. Here's the problem. Did not want to be a pastor. Um, I love the job now. I love the job now. I will tell you this, it is the most stressful thing uh, that I can think of doing. And um, just because of the weight and the responsibility of trying to guide and lead and direct others' steps in their path with Christ and just knowing that um, I have kind of a special responsibility to make sure that I'm not uh, an absolute lunatic, which I tend to naturally lean towards, if I'm being honest. And so uh, there was a lot that I needed to change about myself and just a lot about the job that scared me and I didn't want to do it. I wanted salvation. I was all for that. I don't like hell. I don't like the idea of hell. I would prefer to avoid hell. So yes, I will accept the gift of grace. But I wasn't necessarily prepared to pick up my cross and follow wherever God would lead me. And that is kind of the agreement that we make. It's the agreement Jonah make, that when we accept God as our God, when we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we agree to take up our cross and follow him. And that means go wherever it is he says go, do whatever it is that he says to do and and just be completely submissive in that relationship to living a life that God has called us to live. And um, I ran. I ran just like Jonah. I didn't get on a ship, uh, but I ran. I made some really terrible decisions. Um, I did what I thought I could do to try and make God change his calling on my life. I thought maybe if I made myself undesirable and dirty enough and a big enough sinner that God would say, no, not you. And all of those things had negative consequences for me. Um, They also made me the person that I am today, which I think shows the just majesty and grace of God, the fact that he can use those things that we would uh, think make us unavailable to his service to actually make us better prepared for his service. So a joke was on me just like it was on Jonah. And eventually God changed my mind because no matter what I did, the calling that God had placed on my life had not changed. God decided that it would be, and it was going to be. And eventually, God's way became my way, and it took some time for me to get there. Even after I accepted the calling, it took some time for me to perfectly follow that calling, but that's more for next week. Um, And this was the case for Jonah as well. Jonah had gotten to the place where he said, yeah, I don't want to drown, and no, the belly of the fish wasn't the greatest place for me to be, so I'm going to follow God's command. So when God commands him, go, arise, go to Nineveh, tell them the message that I will give you, Jonah responds in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. 
according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It refers to Nineveh a lot as a great city. And when you hear great city, it doesn't mean great as in like they were doing things right and, and just everybody was living the high life. It means great as in it was large, right? It was a ginormous city. It had a huge outer wall. And inside that outer wall that was like way big, uh, there were kind of the villages. And then there was this giant inner wall. And uh, it was like 30 feet thick, 50 feet high, right? And uh, it protected kind of the inner sanctum of that. So this city was a formidable power. They, if you remember from what Rodney taught us week one, had a reputation for just kind of being vicious. They were a world power of the day and they got there by uh, taking no prisoners and not really asking for the opinion of opinions of others, right? And so Jonah had a reason to fear, but this exceedingly great city, it was three days journey in breadth from where Jonah was at that time. Verse four says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, kind of tells you about how big the city was, right? He traveled around for a day and still hadn't yet made it into the kind of inner circle. But as he's going throughout this city, he's just telling everybody that would listen, I imagine possibly just kind of yelling it out. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now this was the message that he was to deliver from God. Here's what I learned and here's what I know based on just own experience in in kind of studying this passage. We have no control over how people respond to the message God calls us to deliver, but that doesn't lessen our responsibility to deliver it. I'm going to say that one more time. We have no control over how people respond to that message, especially the message that God calls us to deliver, but that doesn't lessen our responsibility to deliver it. That's one of those things that is difficult as a pastor because sometimes I have to have difficult decisions, decisions that I feel like, or discussions, I should say, discussions that that God leads me to have with others that aren't fun, discussions that I, frankly, if I'm being honest, would just rather not have. I wouldn't mind avoiding them because it would be less stressful for me. I wouldn't have to worry about the response and reaction of others, and uh, we could just all pretend that everything's okay and live in harmony, right? A lot of us live life that way. We'll just pretend it's, it's... okay until we hold everything in and then we explode, Uh, which not great in any realm, certainly not great to live that way as a pastor. And so sometimes God says, hey, I need you to go and deliver this message. I need you to deliver it corporately. I need you to deliver it on an individual basis. And I have to say things that I'm not always necessarily comfortable saying and things that uh, if it was just left up to me, I maybe wouldn't even agree with, right? But God's word is God's word, and God's message is God's message. And sometimes he calls us to deliver messages and to deliver a word that, even though they make us uncomfortable, are still true. And the purpose that he has behind us delivering those messages is that people might repent, turn from their ways, and find grace and forgiveness and salvation if they have not yet received it. And we don't have any control over how they respond. Sometimes people respond well, sometimes not so well. You get both. It takes all kinds, I guess, to uh, respond to a message to see the value in that message. But we still have to deliver it, regardless of how we may personally feel, regardless of how that may make someone else feel. Now, we can deliver messages with love. We can deliver messages with truth. We don't have to deliver messages with hate. But still, we have a duty to respond the way that God calls us to respond. Right? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place because, as I already explained, they were this giant powerhouse and the reputation of them not being the nicest of individuals. If they responded poorly to Jonah's message, 
it almost certainly meant his death, right? Outside of a just magnificent act of God, if they were like, you're done, Jonah was going to be done, right? It would have taken God's intervention for that not to be the case. But just because things can go wrong, it doesn't mean that we can ignore the duty that we have to deliver the message that is laid on our hearts by God. And this can be tough for all of us. I already explained how it can be tough for me, right? Sometimes we have to bring messages to people that we love because their behaviors need to change. And us delivering that message shows that we, in fact, truly love them. See, the, the world's idea of love today is that you just accept everything. Just accept it all. That's love. That's love. If you really love me, you'd accept me for who I am and how I am. And that's a great sentiment. And I understand how people can feel almost as if that's true. But Scripture makes it really evident to us that that is not true. That that is not true that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to hold one another accountable. And we have to decide what does it mean when God tells us to love our neighbor with all our hearts. And there's enough scripture, I think, surrounding that verse that tells us that to love them means to bring truth to them and to be honest with them and to call them back to a God who is holy and righteous and has no other desire other than for them to be holy and righteous as well. But again, it's hard. It's hard because not everyone will be receptive and not knowing if they will be receptive makes us uncomfortable. And what if they're angered by what they hear? And what if it ruins our relationship? And what if things just never are the same again? What if you don't deliver the message and they go to hell? What if you don't deliver the message and they perish? What if you don't deliver the message and their sin overwhelms them and sends them down a path that God had never intended them to be on because his calling on your life, his command for you was to go and intervene in that situation and you didn't do it. You see, now you bear the weight and the responsibility for their sin just as much as they do because you did not follow God's will and command for your life. Luckily for Jonah, the people were receptive to what he said to them. Verse 5 and 6 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Amen. Amen. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. See, Jonah preached the need for repentance and the people repented. As a pastor or a prophet, let me tell you, that's all we could ever ask for. That's all we could ever ask for. It's why we get into this position in the first place. Yes, because God called us to be there, but also so that people might repent, find salvation, and live more happy, fulfilling lives. Because 
God's commands are good. God's commands are righteous. God's commands are life-giving. And if we will do those things that he is calling us to do, then we get to experience a life that otherwise we would have no path to. As far as the people were concerned, they teach us that repentance is marked by response and reaction. Right? Repentance is marked by response and reaction. And I'm literally using reaction as reaction, like repurposing your life and what you're doing to get back to the way that you are supposed to be living. Because here's the thing, in order, I think, for there to be a call to repentance, there has to be some point in time in your history where you understood the truth of God, right? Or you are being brought to the understanding of the truth of God. And so in order for repentance to, to, to take place in our life, we have to respond and we have to react. You know, as parents, Jerick and I teach our kids that sorry means you're going to change your behavior. Sorry means you're going to change your behavior because kids, all kids, I'm a teacher, kids love to throw out sorry. Kids love to throw out sorry. And one of the things that I feel like we as a world do poorly is that we force little kids when they're told sorry to accept that apology. Well, now you have to accept that apology. And it's like, do you though? Because sorry isn't some magical band-aid that you can throw on any wrong. And unfortunately, we teach our children that when we force them in one party to say sorry, which I'm, I think is a good thing, but then on the other hand, force them to accept that apology. You know, there are times, and I'll tell you, the first time Winifred tells Cordelia sorry for, you know, throwing something at her face or uh, trying to set her on fire when she's asleep or uh, just, you know, punch her when we're not looking or whatever else, I kind of like, okay, Cordelia, we need to show your sister grace because you get to model grace to Winifred. You get to model compassion to Winifred. I kind of need you to accept the sorry. And, and Cordelia like, fine, it's okay, right? But like, if it happens again, and Winifred comes up and, I'm sorry, Cordelia. And Cordelia's like, you know what, Winifred? I don't accept your apology. Just like then her head starts going. I don't really accept your apology because you did this last time. You said sorry. Now it's still the same thing because she understands. Like she understands sorry means you change your actions. Winifred, not quite there yet. She still thinks sorry is the magical Band-Aid, you know? So Winifred will be like, sorry. And Cordelia, I don't accept your apology. And then Winifred will look, ugh. And she doesn't have to accept your apology. You little demon child. I would never call her that except for the fact that I call her that frequently. Okay, I'm like, you, you just, you can't do those things. No more lighting your sister on fire. There, I'm, I'm getting off track because the ADHD, but I'm remembering things. There was like, Winifred was two and she'd been walking, you know, she walks around, she didn't want to sleep. When it, Cordelia had fallen asleep on the couch and I don't know why. I don't know, it was a long day, okay? It's hard out here for a seven-year-old. So she's asleep on the couch and Winifred's playing in the corner and she stands up and she looks at me and she smiles and I was like, what is she about to do? Right? But I was playing a video game, so I'm not going to like get up and really figure it out. Uh, so I'm like, hey, don't do what you're about to do. <laughs> you know? And so Winifred like, does a little, like, little kid doddle where she's like, almost going to follow her. And she like, gets real close to her sister. And she turns and smiles at me. And I'm like, no. She raises her hand. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay, better pause the game. I try to get up. But before I get over there, she's just like, wham. I mean, just right out of a dead sleep. Uh, brought Cordelia to the Lord, right? The light shined, and she was like, it's, he's coming back, right? Like, that's what she thought. If we're really sorry, 
Repentance means that we're going to change the way that we behave. If we're apologizing to someone in our life, we're telling them, I recognize that what I did was wrong and I'm not going to do it again, or at least at the, I'm going to do my very best not to do it again. It's going to be marked by action. People are going to see that you truly tried to overcome whatever it is that you apologized for. And eventually, eventually, even if we don't get it right, right away, if we're really sorry, we're going to be done. It's not going to happen again because that's repentance. That's repentance. Repentance is recognizing that we have a reason to be sorry, that it's our fault that we made the poor choices, and it's telling the other party that we are beyond remorseful for what it is that we've done. And that's what the people of Nineveh did. They took the necessary steps to show that they were really upset. And the king led by example. You see, leaders lead in word and deed. And for the king, he got about as unkingly as you can get. You see, when you think of like uh, sackcloth, you need to be thinking of like one of those old potato sacks. You know, like the like burlap, like just... They're just dirty anyways. You've never seen like a clean burlap sack. You know what I mean? Like even brand new, for some reason, they're just filthy. Like you touch them and you pull your hand away and it's covered in like just nasty, right? And you're like, why? I don't understand, okay? But that's like what we're thinking. So he removes all of the kingly allure, puts on this burlap sack, and then he sits in ashes, And that's gross too. But it's a show of just complete and total remorse of realizing that you belong in the dirt, in the muck, in in just the place that you are putting yourself, that that is what it is that you deserve. You know that that's where you should be. And it was through these actions that God was able to to see that they were truly sorry, but leaders lead in word and deed. And I think it's important to point this out. If we go to John 13, 13 through 17, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, says, you call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, right? And so this isn't even about washing feet. It's not even about washing feet. It's about recognizing your position in the hierarchy, about seeing that the Lord for the disciples was in fact their Lord and teacher, and that he was the example by which they should follow in their day-to-day actions. Now, we all know what it's like to follow a leader who's not a great leader. And not only is it difficult to respect them, but who wants to follow in those footsteps, right? So Jesus is really saying and teaching here, I have given you the example If you really think of me as your Lord and your master, you will follow my example. You will do as I say. And so the leader of Nineveh is is putting his money where his mouth is, right? He didn't order everyone else to put on sackcloth and sit in ashes. He does it himself. 
He does it himself. He covers himself in sackcloth. He sits in ashes. Uh, It's the biggest show of humility possible. I already said that. And then in verse 7, after he takes the lead, he issues a proclamation. It says, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here's the best verse of the whole passage, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's heart. God's heart is that all repent and none be punished. That's God's heart. It's not that we won't be punished. There isn't some imaginary God that Christianity has somehow created where God loves so much that there's no punishment whatsoever. God punishes. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, God can do so spectacularly. Pillars of salt, whole cities wiped off the face of the planet, reduced to ash. God can punish and God will punish. But there is rarely, if ever, an instant where God says, there's your first mistake, see you later. There's your first mistake, you're done. His desire is that we repent and find forgiveness. That is true that God is love. It is also true that God does not want to punish, but it doesn't mean that he won't. You see, here's the deal. God got what he wanted from this situation. He needed Jonah to deliver the message. And I don't know why Jonah specifically, but maybe he knew that for whatever reason, Jonah would resonate with the people, that they would hear the message from him specifically, and they would repent, and they would turn. Because he is God. I do think he could have sent someone else But he chose Jonah for the job. And he wanted the people to heed his message, and they did. And then grace was dispensed. Now, I know a lot of people have this view of God that he is the bully with the magnifying glass, just roasting the heck out of us. There's too many Christians that hold that view that live life on eggshells just worried about every little tiny mistake because they just know that like God's going to blast them. I don't, I don't know. And then we do have the other side where people just think that God is like, oh, you made a mistake. Here's a new car. I, I don't, that wasn't a great example. but. And the fact of the matter is that God is there in the middle. He can certainly dole out punishment, and he will if he finds it necessary, and we will experience repercussions for our actions, but his goal ultimately, and he showed it through his gift of Jesus, through giving his son to die on a cross, his goal is ultimately, really by any means necessary, that we find grace and redemption. His Desire is for us to correct course and find forgiveness always and forever.
And beyond that, his desire is for his people to want that for others as well. We're going to talk more about Jonah next week, and you're going to see that Jonah wasn't quite there yet. And I think that there's a lot of power in realizing that as well. Because Jonah still brought about redemption. He still helped bring about the salvation for an entire nation, even in the time where he really didn't want to. But that's for next week. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. And I thank you, God, that you are a God who desires first and foremost that we repent and who desires first and foremost to show us grace and forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would help to make us a people who put you first, who recognize where we sit in the hierarchy of life, who understand that by accepting Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we have agreed to take up our cross and follow you wherever that may be, and that that requires to have us deny ourselves, that we must deny ourselves of sometimes the things that make us happy. We must deny ourselves sometimes of the things that bring us joy. We must deny ourselves of the places that we find comfort in order to fulfill the calling and the command that you have placed on our life. That's not always an easy thing to do. It's not always an easy thing to understand. But that does not change, God, the fact that you call us to live according to your words, your commands, and your teachings. Help us, God, to be a church collectively that loves our neighbor as ourself. And, and, and by saying that, God understands and craves the correction that comes to our life as well. Help us to desire being godly first and foremost and figuring out the rest as it comes. Lord, we ask for your power to fill this place. Father, we repent of the things that separate us from you. We apologize for when we are too weak to follow your will in your way. Lord, be with these people today. Bless these people today. Correct these people today. Bring about repentance. And through the response and reaction, the grace that comes with it. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship. Let's stand and let's worship. God deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. You may not have agreed with much of anything I said today, but if you don't agree with that, we got a real problem. Okay. He is worthy of it. He is worthy of it. And this is a time where you get to make that offering to Him. And if you need to come talk to me about anything, about salvation, about what it means to accept Him as your personal Lord and Savior, what it means to pick up your cross and follow Him wherever He calls. We need to have that discussion today. If you need prayer for something that's going on in your life, I want to pray for you. I desire it. It would be a great honor for me to be able to 
intercede on your behalf to the Lord. Otherwise, where you're at, worship, meditate on, meaning think on what it is that God has done for you and give that praise 10 times over. Here we go.